Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Good morning, you are watching Luck on Sunday, and it's the one week where the introduction, I hope you're well, tends to carry with it a certain amount more sincerity and gravitas. Truly, I hope you and all your family are well. I wish you all a happy Mother's Day as well, particularly those of you who are unable to be with your loved ones today. We are with you through the next hour and a half, reflecting on what has without doubt been an extraordinary week, not just for horse racing, but for the world as a whole. And we will be going around the globe, around each racing jurisdiction, assessing the impact as things stand of coronavirus, of COVID-19, how it's affected you and your livelihood, and what might be the case for the, the coming weeks. Joining me to do that is Cornelius Lysett, renowned racing broadcaster and journalist. Cornelius, very good morning. Morning, and still the BBC's racing correspondent. And still the BBC's racing correspondent, and performing as all journalists at the BBC are doing at the moment, an important public service. In fact, you are a key worker. Well, so, so I discovered this week that the, dr the problem has been actually getting studio time. So uh, lots of people have come up with ideas of things that we might do to, uh, to make certain that listeners to Five Live and other radio stations are served during this time. However, trying to get the studio uh, time is, is proving tricky. But um, uh, as I pointed out to a number of uh, bigwigs, I am available and we were all given equipment at home not long ago so I can sit at the kitchen table with my microphone and say something appropriate. And as has historically been the case when a country or countries, in this case the globe, goes through difficult, extremely turbulent, life-threatening times, mm. Radio, particularly, can be a source of great comfort to people. I, I think that's right. Uh, radio is a different medium to every other medium because clearly it's in people's cars, their bedrooms, their bathrooms, their kitchens, their gardens, wherever. And uh, Jane Garvey, former colleague of mine on uh, on Five Live, now presenter of Women's Hour, mm. brilliant presenter of Women's Hour. Uh, on Radio 4. She, she was emph emphasising this and I remember going back to my early days in radio. I worked in a commercial radio station in Gloucester in the 1980s, Gloucester and Cheltenham and there was, as there was this year again, extensive flooding on that part of the, the River Severn and indeed the River Avon between sort of Upton on Severn down to Gloucester mm. and we had, the radio station was called Seven Sound and we had Seven Sound Flood Alert and, and the fact is that people weren't turning on the TV, they weren't uh, going to buy the Gloucester Citizen or the Gloucester Echo, they were turning on the radio because it's so immediate and it's so trusted and it's why me and millions of other people absolutely adore the radio. The continuation of horse racing has been significant debate. Mm. It was announced earlier this week on Tuesday that there would be no racing in Great Britain until the end of April, beginning of May at the very earliest and then clearly a, a view would be taken based on government advice. That decision was taken while racing was taking place at Weatherby, which was the final race course to stage racing behind closed doors. Weatherby and Taunton raced on Tuesday. Racing behind closed doors continues in Ireland as it does this afternoon at Downpatrick and as it did yesterday 
in Thurlis. And that, of course, Cornelius, has been the subject of significant debate. It's yeah. been the one question this week that has roused the interest of everybody in, in this sport and indeed outside it, because racing suddenly becomes a focal point. No racing here, yet there is racing in Ireland behind closed doors. I found myself sort of seesawing uh, in opinion. On the one hand, tens of thousands of people are employed by this industry in, in one form or another. Uh, so that's one thing that's obviously clear in people's minds and obviously those who hoped that racing would continue in Britain were emphasising it's not for fun, it's not for people to, to uh, go and enjoy themselves, it's because it is a, an important business, it's not a contact sport. So people were hoping uh, that uh, there might be found a way of, uh, of going forward. Uh, obviously the Grand National was the, the, the big chat, you know, was there, could there be a behind closed doors Grand National? I mean, this time last week, I was sitting here, in a sense, attempting to advocate for the idea of there being a behind closed doors. Well, it would now, now it's inconceivable. I mean, the, the, the science coming from, from government, the advice coming from government, uh, and the public mood have completely shifted in such a short space and of time. And the way the world has changed. The first thing I heard on the, when I turned the radio on this morning was that John Lewis are, are closing their stores. You know, one of the great British mm. brands not going to open their stores. Uh, Pret-a-Manger, a, a growing British brand, they're, going to, they're closing all their, their cafes so you can't get a cup of coffee or tea from, or anything else from them. So the fact is, you're, you're absolutely right, a week ago, it was a conceivable mm. thought. And at the time, I was thinking, gosh, it would be a, a fantastic thing to have a grand, in a funny sort of way, a grand national behind closed doors, because when people came to look at the history from 1839 onwards, you'd have the year that uh, it was never took place because of the false starts. You'd have the year it took place late because of the bomb threat. You'd have other uh, twists and turns. And this would be another of those. Oh, but no. that is inconceivable uh, as, we, as we sit here now. Uh, and I think what is really important and what the Irish authorities must be having to weigh up is potential reputational damage. So regardless of anything else, say we were in a situation where we were racing behind closed doors in Britain and there was uh, uh, some kind of incident in a race somewhere which involved, mm. uh, say, jockeys being or stable staff or, or whoever being taken to hospital. And that was seen to hold up the treatment uh, as these numbers grow of people suffering from uh, COVID-19. Now, that would have been the British, the, the non-racing media would have been merciless to the sport. Uh, and racing incorrectly, in my opinion, I'm sure in your opinion, has this hoity-toity, toffee-nosed reputation, which it still hasn't managed to entirely shake off. And that would have only grown. So I think that that's in terms of Britain. Obviously, the Irish have weighed it all up. And at the moment, they are happy to continue. The flat racing season starts tomorrow at Nace, the Curra next weekend. Uh, and, um, you know, how long will that go on? That, well, how long's a piece of string? We really don't know, do we? We're going to talk to Brian Kavanagh from Horse Racing Ireland later in the programme, but we must start the programme by having a word with Nick Rust, the Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority. Nick, good morning. Good morning to you. Very challenging week for everyone, just as challenging for everybody within this sport and those trying to find a path through this and a, and a way forward. First question, they're racing in Ireland behind closed doors. Why are we not racing in Britain? Well, I think... I think um they're at different stages in Ireland um, to where we are here. Um, you know, our first priority is obviously to the, the health of the public, our customers and the racing industry staff. We've seen and been warned about, um, we spoke to a number of parliamentarians um, and health workers and other senior figures the, 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 uh, earlier this week, and, and that evidence was provided to the industry's leaders when we discussed the 
taking a very you know serious decision, obviously major uh, decision with major impact. Um, the pressures on the NHS are growing by the day. You've been talking talking about it now, um, and we had to take our decision um, in light of that, um, with a view to looking after our participants and, and getting ready for a resumption when we can. Islands, um, you know, where there's a lot of talk about COVID um, nineteen uh, curve, COVID nineteen curves. Um, you've heard quite a bit about the fact that Britain is 14 or 15 days behind the situation in Italy. We've seen pictures on you know, various channels over the last couple of days about the situation there. Um, and, and our curve is following, or if not slightly ahead of that, um, based on some of the information analysis uh, today. Ireland is, is further behind that. And, and so that, you know, they've followed their government's advice, and we followed our government's advice all the way through. Um, which is why we did race at Cheltenham, because at the time the advice was, you know, from medical professionals um, inside the sport and from government that we could continue. But that changed very quickly over last weekend and with the Prime Minister's statement on, on Monday afternoon. Everyone at the moment is looking back and looking forward. Is there any part of you that regrets being part of the COVID-19 advisory group that said that Cheltenham could go ahead? Um, no, not at all, because as we, we consistently said all the way through, and we were asked to by government, by DCMS, you know, please, you know, follow government's advice, um, to, to try and stick with it all the way through. And, and as we approached Cheltenham, you know, we sought clarity from government and a number of other sports leaders have had various meetings with DCMS all the way through this. Um, and the advice was, you know, to, co to continue. There was going to be no stopping on um, mass gatherings. We were still very much in the, uh, in the first stage, the contain phase, um, and that there was, no, there was no reason not to continue with Cheltenham. Now, obviously, the mood changed and the advice changed that week. We had, we had the Chancellor's budget on the Wednesday. We had new advice on the Thursday. Uh, the government started to signal up, and, and, and no doubt you and others were all talking about it at Cheltenham on the Friday, starting to signal up what was likely to come. And things had changed very rapidly, um, so much so that we spent all of that weekend um, saying uh, uh, to industry leaders, we now need to bring about our um, decision to go behind closed doors. But then again, very quickly it moved. And you've seen just how quickly it's been moving this week. The predictions made by those that we spoke to are unfortunately coming through in terms of, of what we're likely to see. And it was that sort of medical and public um, advice that was given to us which contributed heavily to the decision. I just want to talk about the measures moving forward for people in the industry who are going to incur significant financial hardship. To what extent is racing putting in a, a, um, a series of its own measures to supplement what the, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced on Thursday evening? Well, that was very welcome, um, those measures on, on, on Friday, actually. So Friday, apologies. Yeah, um, that was very welcome. Our immediate priorities are threefold. They're all linked. Money, people, and looking after our people and looking after our horses. We've got some money from government, and that can make a significant difference, albeit that we recognize that um, there is still more clarity required for self-employed. And um, the fact that the money is available for this new word, furloughed people, mm. people who are effectively laid off for a period of time, that will help a number of businesses in racing, but we recognize that in trainers' yards, um, the horses still need looking after, so employment is still required um, to look after our horses. So, 
now that the government has set out its scheme, our priority now, and the, the, the leaders from across the industry have been working on this and are meeting again tomorrow, and we've been working over the weekend by email on this as well, um, to, to try and develop the plans. We now need to go to the levy board, which is standing by waiting to help the Racing Foundation and other funders with clarity about where we need to provide funding over the next three months. And one of the emerging ideas is to make sure that we provide um, liquidity and support for horses in training, to retain horses in training so that they're looked after for two reasons. One, for their welfare, of course, and one, to ensure that we maintain employment and cash flow and so that the industry is ready for a return. Secondly, we said, we said, and I can return to some of this, Nick. Secondly, we said that we've got to look after our, our people, and that starts with their health too and their needs, not just their physical health, but their mental health, and we're looking at support there and for hardship um, payments through racing welfare, which is the first point of contact that we would encourage people to go to. And Dawn and her team you know, have been immense in setting up um, additional services and support this week for anyone in the industry. And as I said, finally, we've got to make sure that we look after our horses and um, uh, hopefully the, the, the financial measures and the support for our people will help us to, to, to do that. To me, that's the, 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 the what mustn't happen is what is clearly a, cri a health crisis for racing, but for the entire world, turn into a welfare crisis for horse racing. Uh, and that ends up being a second crisis in 2020. And that 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 must be almost top of top of your entire list of uh, things to think forward about nick it is top of list and we you know we need to make sure that um i, I mean we're hearing today that you know robert jenrick was on sky earlier saying that if you're not a key worker you should yeah. stay at home um although it, <laughs> the government hasn't yet said if you're not a key worker you should not work as evidenced by this program for example yeah um and and we we need to make sure that people who look after our horses can be classed as key workers otherwise you know the consequences are obvious to all of those of us who work in the industry but we're working on those three things and and the, the financial one we must make some progress on um in the next few days the levy board meets on wednesday rob heasel and the trustees at the uh, racing foundation have already made a statement about they're ready and willing to support and we are now working to ensure that we direct those monies as best we can I think the message for employers in the industry is, you know, look at the package that was put out on Friday, um, seek to think how you'll take advantage of that, um, and we're looking to, to top that up as best we can in all the right places for, for, so that we have a sustainable industry to come back to when we do return to racing. So it's not impossible that you can replicate what the government was doing by giving a, an industry-wide blanket grant to to training yards essentially according to how many horses they have in training look i don't want to make i don't i, don't, I neither want to make false promises nor deny hope what we're saying is that we must must consider um support for the key parts of our industry and one of the areas where it is obvious okay. that support will be needed is that we will continue to need you won't be able to furlough all work it's a great new word to furlough all, all workers in racing yards. The horses need looking after. We recognize the owners are facing, you know, hardships themselves or challenges in their own financial worlds. And, and there's obviously something that we could do there. And I know, you know, my, co my colleague Charlie Liverton is leading up some thinking on that specifically. Rupert Arnold at the NTF as well. And, and, and together with a series of other um, executives, we're thinking through how we can make sure that we provide support that works um, over the next few days. And what about support for the self-employed, uh, for jockeys in particular? 
Well, we're, we're, um, we're, we're, we're trying to make sense of what was alluded to and or announced on Friday about self-employed. Um, there's, there's been quite a bit more push around what the government is doing for the self-employed. There was some initial work mentioned around suspending um, tax, the second tax payment due in the summer, um, and also some talk about providing universal credit. Obviously, in itself, that, that isn't likely to mm. prove enough for um, a number of people in our industry. Paul Struthers, and through work through the IGF and others, um, has got some self-help for jockeys um, in place, um, and we'll just need to see how the industry can best meet the needs of these people. So when we go to the levy board and the Racing Foundation this week, as well as the measures that, that we're examining around um, supporting horses in training, shall we say, uh, we, need to, we need to look at all the other parts of the industry to make sure that we can do the best we can to keep it intact, ready for yeah. a turn. Yeah, ready for a turn. Now, this is the key, two, two, two key points. I know Cornelius wants to say something. I'll just quickly get you on, 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 the, um, on the return of racing. Now, if the, if the curve is not going to reach its peak, according to the government, for at least another 12 weeks, racing surely can't have any hope of returning can it nick in in that 12-week period surely we've got to extend that that period to manage people's expectations well i think it's too early to do that um but but as you know it's changing every day so we, we do have to manage that message we have we have been looking we, we realize the implication of you know a long break obviously so whilst we can provide financial support and so on uh, in the in the way that we've started to describe today and I hope we'll be able to make this mm. clear over the next week there are obviously implications on you know a generation of two-year-olds three-year-olds um, what happens to the pattern where will we go you know what does this mean for our um, sister industries around you know breeding and um, the sales side um, and we have to we have to look at all possibilities for a return the the, the 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 UK's people may get fed up um, at some point um, in, in this, and government will be looking for a return to economic activity as as quickly as safely possible. But we can't predict that at this stage. We are looking at a number of possibilities about whether we could um, race safely. And given the restrictions that are in place now or have been in place, you know, we're going to have to think very creatively because you know we talk about moving horses around in Ireland, and that's okay for now, given where they are on the curve. We're effectively being told, you know. Um, stay at home. Um, so any solution will have to involve something very creative, probably in a very localised area, and we're, we're examining the feasibility of that. But we must do it well, in a way that you, doesn't you... drain. We doesn't drain public services, and and where where individuals are happy to take part on that basis. And I, you know, I, it's too early to suggest that that's going to happen. In are you, are you suggesting, Nick? Are you suggesting something along a, an American model of a of a a sort of everyone being together in one in one enclosed community we, we are not are thinking look i don't want to set any hairs running other than to say that i want to assure people that we're not sitting here waiting for you know yeah. um 12 or 14 weeks to go by and thinking oh we'd better start thinking about how we might return yeah when you're, we, you're coming up with we, creative when ideas we, when we suspended racing we said that we would keep the decision under review and we would look at um, how and when we could bring some form of racing back as soon as we could and we are keeping that in mind I'm not suggesting that will happen in the next week I'm suggesting that all of the parties are working on sure. it we're getting approaches from people in the industry with constructive messages about how we might think about that um, and uh, you know this is a time to work together because the, 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 the people who are leading each section of the industry so people like Rupert at the NTF 
Paul Struthers at um, the PGA and so on, you know, um, Charlie Liverton, everyone who's involved here is working morning, noon and night to help their members. And, you know, I'd, I'd ask people to bear that in mind and support them. We're all trying to do the right thing by this industry and we're all working to do all that we can on it. Nick, you've been generous with your time and I know you're very busy. I know you've got a lot to do today. Finally, um, you need to respond, I think, you may not wish to, to, to Peter Saville, who has um, come, put his head above the parapet and, and criticised the decision to, to suspend racing. And he's gathered around him a little bit of industry support as well, just looking at uh, social media. Saville criticises BHA decision to suspend racing in, in face of coronavirus. This was just yesterday. Ex-BHB chairman thinks regulators should have allowed behind closed doors action as there is in Ireland. In brief, would you like to, to put your, your rejoinder to that? Yeah, I mean, I understand the letter was in on Thursday, so I don't know if he still feels exactly the same. But firstly, I would say racing needs to work together to sort out the money issues and look after our people and our horses, then develop our case for resumption, as we've said. Secondly, we've had good advice from doctors, politicians and senior people on what's coming. Um, what was made clear to our leaders um, earlier this week was that we are 14 or 15 days behind Italy and there'll be a growth in cases and deaths. I, 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 don't, I don't really want to add to the, the speculation about what might happen based on what we've been privy to. I'm not going to add to those remarks. And I, I'd, I'd ask people just to look at the context we're in I, and I'm going to look forward, not back. Racing should be showing the public why we've you know, been so long central to natural, national life and culture. Let's show the people you know, what we stand for, which is community care and hard work and make sure that people say that we did our bit when it mattered most. All that said, we will look after our sport as best we can. And I hope you've got an idea of, from this morning of how we're um, trying to do that. Nick, thank you very much. Thank you. Nick Ross, Chief Executive of the BHA. Pretty comprehensive, I thought. Very, very struck by the, the sort of looking ahead. The, the, there isn't any light at the end of the tunnel as we sit here now, but clearly there will be at some point. And, uh, you know, what comes next has to be thought about. So uh, uh, he, he, he used an expression which could, could mean anything to an extent. We're thinking creatively. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and yeah. how the various different branches, the owners, the jockeys, the trainers, are all thinking mm -hmm. creatively as well. But uh, I think you hit the nail on the I could see extra boxes going up at Chelmsford and uh, perhaps Newmarket, uh, maybe Newmarket slightly more obvious actually, but Chelmsford or Newcastle uh, at some point. So trainers yeah. would have to get their horses there mm. and they'd have and to they, stay there for a period yeah. of time. Start and that, that makes whatever. Wolverhampton, yeah. Kempton. And, the, and this... Because this is important for the flat rate. Absolutely. For jumping, for jumping, obviously, to lose the Grand National, to lose the last month of the season, for, for Irish racing to be thinking Ferry House and Punchestown are only just mm -hmm. around the corner. You know, these are difficult times for jumping, but for flat racing, these are terrifying times. They are. Uh, if you've got a two-year-old that needs to be running in March, well, April, if you've got May. a three-year-old that, you know, for, for the entire sport, yeah. for, if you've got a three-year-old, if you've got Pina Tubo, for example, uh, and he, he didn't get a chance to to race in, uh, yeah. you know, for, 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 for some time. So the, the other, the, I was talking to um, some colleagues about this earlier in the week. There are plenty of people, let's put um, the coronavirus to, to one side for a second, who believe that the Guineas come plenty early enough in the year, that the Derby comes plenty early enough in the year, that Royal Ascot comes plenty yes. early enough in the year. Say through no, uh, through, through um, situation, everything had to move on by four or six weeks. It might well be, and I'm sounding like a little forever. bit like a spin doctor, you think, crikey, this works really well. Um, and, you know, the, the, perhaps, and with the climate changing as well, perhaps things do have yeah. to move on.
I um, think I think you make a, a raise a really interesting point. I think fundamentally, you, we, well, that's why you're here as a key worker. <laughs> fundamentally, we have to change the way we think about the sport for the next year, maybe even two years, and this is why. Because if you look at these statements from Ascot and the Jockey Club, they like you and I have no idea what Absolutely. we're what we're about Absolutely. to face. And, and Ascot, I'm sure, will have explored a gazillion contingency plans, but at the moment they're just saying, please be patient. We'll provide information as, we, as soon as we can, but we rely on an external guidance, for which obvious reasons is not on uh, our power uh, to accelerate. And the Jockey Club, look at this, exactly the same. The key point, though, if you have bought tickets to any Jockey Club event, just look at the refund policy there, full refund policy if cancelled. So if you choose to book, you can do so in the knowledge that uh, your purchase will be refunded. In I suspect the Jockey Club is going to play a big part as the year goes on for, for one very good reason. They, their big event is at Cheltenham. That happened. Yeah. Plenty of other people's big events are Off. under threat. Um, I, I, I don't know the details, but I guess the Grand National was probably insured. So they're not going to be, they're, they're not going to be desperately out of pocket uh, there. So I can see the Jockey Club stepping forward. And uh, uh, th 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 these are people who've been custodial or an organisation that's been a custodian of British racing mm. since the mid-18th century. I can see them stepping forward and saying, right, we're going to have to get rid of, you know, we're going to have to sacrifice well, a couple of things in order to, to actually get everything in later on in the year. This is going to require, the word unprecedented is getting used all the time, but it's no, going to require unprecedented cooperation between the Jockey Club, ARC, yeah. who provide such a huge but bulk of the ARC are taking probably a, a, a bigger hit at this stage, yeah. aren't they? So, isn't it? So, um, so uh, absolutely. But I can, see the jockey, I can see the jockey club playing a, a mm. big part as, as the year goes on. Let's talk to Conor McGinn, MP for St Helens and also co-chair of the all-party racing and bloodstock group. Uh, Conor, good morning. Good morning, Nick. I'm Cornelius. Uh, and I'm sure you, you were listening to, to Nick Rust, and I know Nick has made... Um, made a significant point this week of saying how much he's been advised and the BHA's COVID-19 committee have been advised by, by government, by Oliver Dowden and the Department of Culture, Media and Sport and by friendly MPs to racing like yourself. Does, does that imply that you think racing has made the correct decision? I think it's made the only decision that was possible in the circumstances. The country is facing a public health emergency, a national crisis and there are huge economic implications to that as well. Racing as an industry is in the centre of all of that because we are a, an, a, an animal-first business, but a people-centred business, like others in leisure and hospitality and entertainment. There was a very discernible shift in public opinion after the Friday that Shelton finished over the weekend. I heard it in my own constituency, which is a racing constituency with Haydock Park, uh, uh, in it and people were very clear that there was an expectation that when other sports had shut down uh, that racing should do that as well so there was no option uh, both because of government advice because of public opinion and the need to safeguard our reputation but also frankly because of the ethics of keeping medical professions to run a sport at a time when the NHS is facing unprecedented pressures on its services. Just give me an idea of what it's like at the moment being a, an MP in a, in a densely populated urban area. You feel a huge sense of responsibility personally like everyone else on Mother's Day. I think of my family of relatives who are susceptible to this illness and complications that may drive, but also who work in the NHS and in other key services. I feel a huge sense of obligation to people that I represent. On Friday, we convened a meeting of the Liverpool City Region 
COVID-19 action group that is responsible for the welfare of 1.5 million people. People are people are worried. They are stoic, but they are afraid of the consequences for them and their families. And that, of course, is around their livelihoods, around businesses. And nowhere is that felt more acutely, I think, than in the racing industry in all its component parts, where people are justifiably and understandably worried about the uncertainty, about the length of the shutdown and what it means for them and their future financial security. Uh, what's your view, Connor, on on the benefits that were, were put forward? I, I said it was Thursday, but my days of the week, as everyone else's are, are going all out of kilter. It was Friday, as Nick Russ quite rightly corrected me. What's your view on, on the government's measures so far to attempt to uh, look after sections of the workforce who are being severely compromised by this? I think every MP with any sense of patriotic duty in the national interest will want to support the government's effort, and I consider myself very much in that uh, camp. I think the measures that were announced were unprecedented. I think they were very welcome. I think the Chancellor and the team at the Treasury are trying their best to work through what is an incredibly difficult situation where we are, of course, trying to save the economy and mitigate the effects on people's finances but also trying to save people's lives, and that's the most acute point in all of this. I think, however, that there is further measures that can be taken. If we look at our own industry of racing, where many people are self-employed, they will want to hear from government that their incomes, that their livelihoods will be guaranteed and underwritten as well in the way that staff who are employed through PAYE will have 80% of their income and their wages covered. But I think people across the country, working people in places like St Helens, will be relieved that there is some semblance of guarantee for uh, their incomes. And I think businesses here locally as well, and I suspect throughout the country, particularly our pubs and our restaurants and our theatres and our cultural centres, which are the epitome of uh, the very country that we live in, will be pleased that at least there might be light at the end of the tunnel, even though this is such a really difficult time for everyone. I read your letter, Connor, yesterday, you and um, uh, your colleague from Tewkesbury, and it, there was one phrase in it that caught my eye, calling, uh, supporting the British Horse Racing Authority, but calling on government to recognise racing's responsible actions uh, by playing its role in the future. So, basically, you, you, you seem to be saying racing's, you know, doing a pretty good job now, but don't, don't forget us when, when the sport has to be rebuilt again. Everyone has to be, everything has to be rebuilt again. Look, I love racing. You know, I feel totally bereft at the absence of racing in my life every day. Like most people who are watching this programme will too. You know, I own uh, a horse, a lovely seven-year-old who we were hoping to chase this year. He's with Chris Grant in Durham. And it breaks my heart that we can't do that. And the excitement and the fun and the comradeship that I think is unique to race and will be absent from all of our lives for the coming months. But this is about the country, and it is obscene to think that we somehow can absent ourselves as the nation's sport from our national duty as racing people to put our shoulder to the wheel and support the efforts that are being made and to support the calls for the social distancing and to support older people as well in isolation. Now, we can't do that through racing at the moment, and it was the correct decision, it was the only decision, and it was the inevitable decision but it was also the responsible decision, and we're a responsible industry. We add so much racing does to the social, the financial, the cultural life of the country. And in taking the decision that we did and leading from the front 
it's now up to government to recognise that and to support our industry in all its component parts, from the single mum in my constituency who works in a bedding shop, to the stable staff at the training yard, to conditional jockeys, every single part of our industry, trainers, breeders, race courses, need to be looked after in whatever the new world is when we come out of this. Connor, thank you very much. Uh, I know you and your colleagues are doing a, an extraordinary job under, under intense pressure at the moment. And for your support of, of racing and the country, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Conor McGinn, MP and co-chair of the All-Party Racing Committee. One, one word in there that really yeah. struck home, obscene. obscene. Uh, that was really striking. I thought he's hit the nail on the head there. And he is passionate. He's the MP for St Helens, which includes Haydock. Uh, Lawrence Robertson, who, uh, who was the other um, MP to write the letter supporting the British Horse Racing Authority. He's the MP for Tewkesbury, but that includes Cheltenham. And these are, these are, you know, he's one of the rising stars of the Labour Party. And when they get a new leader, etc., he'll be getting quite a significant uh, role. So to have him batting for the, mm. to, to mix my metaphors, batting for the sport is big. And it, actually, the other thing that struck me today about racing, racing probably doesn't have masses of parliamentarians who are behind it. It has a certain number, probably not masses. But look who some of them are. You've got people like Conor McGinn. You've got people uh, like Lawrence Robertson. You've got Matt Hancock, Matt Hancock whose constituency includes uh, Newmarket. You've got Rishi Sunak, whose constituency includes Midland. Uh, so the, I, I was talking to a trainer from Midland at the Jim Crack dinner. Oh, it seems months ago now, doesn't it, uh, before Christmas. And uh, Rishi Sunak, who's a rel he's relatively new as an MP, he comes from the south of England, I think he comes from Southampton, he certainly supports Southampton Football Club, and I said, you know, what, what, how have you found him? And I thought this trainer would say, oh, urbanite, you know, uh, countryside, blah, blah, blah. He said he's absolutely brilliant. He knows more about the, the business of horse racing and the business of agriculture in that constituency than yeah. a lot of the people in horse racing and agriculture. So, and I'm not saying he loves racing or anything like that, but a lot, considerable percentage of his constituency really uh, it's really important to them so yeah, as a, it's a good person to have on side and as a Harvard educated Fulbright scholar he can get hold of a brief fairly quickly I don't think but I don't think Boris Johnson would be um, I, I think he would probably let it let uh, racing get on with it uh, David Cameron I saw him at the races on the odd occasion Theresa May it's a good quiz question this Theresa May owned a share in a racehorse oh, that won at Lingfield this as well you're well, going to ask me who trained it yeah I'll come back I w wasn't someone like Chris Wall or somebody like that was it he was a racehorse trainer, so someone like Chris Wall, yeah. Was it Chris Wall? No. No, it wasn't. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, as I said earlier in this week, now the nation's favourite Rishi. <laughs> Just saying. Um, let's talk to Brian Kavanagh from, uh, from Horse Racing Ireland because racing is continuing in Ireland, admittedly behind, behind closed doors. We saw it yesterday at Thurless, which was televised on, on ITV4 and uh, Racing TV has been televising the race from Ireland. It's keeping, keeping this show on the road, entertaining an awful lot of you. There's racing at Downpatrick this afternoon. Um, Brian Kavanagh is on the line now. Brian, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Uh, how, how have you found the last week, both in terms of the effectiveness of keeping the show on the road and also the reaction to it? Uh, it's been an unprecedented week, really, Nick. Uh, I think um, we're all in uncharted territory. Um, as regards to the first point, the, the effectiveness uh, is very good. I'd have to compliment the entire industry, uh, jockeys, trainers, uh, stable staff, uh, IHRB officials, uh, the media. Everybody has got this very quickly. Uh, and 
you know, we're satisfied that, you know, we can create on a race course a safe environment, as, as safe as anywhere else that's remaining open. In fact, ironically, race courses are ideally suited uh, when you strip away public customers, caterers, bookmakers, to social isolation. They're big open spaces with a lot of empty rooms. Uh, so in terms of the practicalities of it, uh, you know, I think we're satisfied that, that race courses and, and race fixtures are, are a safe environment uh, in line with the government guidelines uh, regarding social distancing and regarding COVID. Uh, and uh, that's important, and it's important in terms of uh, other other jurisdictions as well, that if we can create a safe environment, and we've seen that, you know, racing is going on behind closed doors in Hong Kong and Dubai, uh, in Australia, uh, in the States and parts of the States. So, it can be done. There's no doubt about that, uh, and uh, that's that that that's been very reassuring. Uh, in terms of the reaction, uh, you know, generally there's, there's there's been a mixed reaction, uh, positives and negatives. Generally positive, uh, certainly overwhelmingly positive within the industry. Uh, outside the industry, some elements of curiosity uh, when you explain it to them, and when you explain the context in which we're doing what we're doing, uh, the the. Um, uh, with safety being the primary consideration, with the ambition of protecting jobs and protecting livelihoods, people people understand it. And then you have other people who say, look, you, should, you shouldn't be racing at all. Yeah. It should just shut down uh, completely. So it ranges across the spectrum. Uh, but, um, you know, in, in, in taking this action, we've, we've consulted with our government. Uh, you know, we're reviewing it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and certainly the, 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 the government's view and the advice is, you know, if you can create safe environments, you know, keep, keep, uh, and can keep business moving, then do so. If you feel you cannot create a safe environment or you're putting people at risk, then you should stop. So that is the specific advice from the Irish government? Yeah, that's the, they're the discussions we've had with government all the way through, that they, the, the, the social distancing protocols are, are, are the key. If you can, can't enforce them, then you shouldn't be racing. Colin McGinn, MP, I don't know if you were listening to him just a few moments ago, here in, in the UK said it's obscene to think that we in horse racing can abs- absent ourselves from our national duty um, and, and he was referring to, to the use of medics and the use of personnel who would be much better deployed fighting the, uh, this, this, this tragedy that, that, is, that is gripping the globe. Yeah, I think that's that's been at the forefront of our thoughts. We have a different system in Ireland. Uh, our medics are not provided uh, by the NHS, are not provided centrally. Our, our ambulances are provided on a voluntary basis by the Order of Malta. Uh, our doctors are employed by the IHRB. And we have said all the way through the process that as soon as they are required for the national effort, uh, they are available and they will be allocated to the national effort. Our race courses, our medical rooms and race courses, our doctors and our ambulances they're not required at the moment. Ironically, the Order of Malta uh, has up to 100 ambulances. They're on standby, but they haven't been called. And actually, they're idle at the moment because they're usually attending GAA matches, football matches, uh, all sorts of other events. So, I mean, uh, clear, clearly when they're required, and if and when they're required for the national effort, uh, that will come first. I'll tell you what, Brian, the thing that struck me was that on certainly on social media there was quite a lot of criticism of Irish people who'd come to the Cheltenham Festival, which um, obviously went ahead as planned. So I, obviously I was assu- doing a lot of assuming here, but I assumed that in the light of a certain amount of criticism, 
in social media, in general media as well, that perhaps that would rub off and um, you know you, you would actually stop possibly even earlier than than Britain. But uh, clearly, that's not been the case. No, I think I think think we look we, we try to look at it in a responsible fashion. I, you know, I I, I can understand. Uh, the critics, uh, I think some of the criticism at Cheltenham is unfounded, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, the, the airports were fully open with people travelling from, from all over the world, people were travelling over and back to the UK for football matches. I think Cheltenham, it was unlucky, the whole thing ramped up very much, literally in the first two days of Cheltenham, you know, when you went to Cheltenham, uh, you came back, we came back to a very different country. Uh, and uh, I think people are able to distinguish as well, Cornelius, between you know, a race meeting behind closed doors, which is not really a race meeting at all, as we know it, and uh, a race meeting with 60,000 people there. Yeah. I think the concerns were not that Cheltenham was run, uh, they were that, the, that it wasn't run behind closed doors uh, at the time. But, you know, that, that's a separate consideration. Should Cheltenham have gone ahead the way it did? That's a matter for the British authorities. And, and people who went to Cheltenham from Ireland, you know, did so at the time on the advice of the, 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 the Irish authorities. You know, there was no travel ban to the UK. There was no restrictions. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of, of of pubs and restaurants at that time. So, uh, the timing of the Cheltenham Festival wasn't wasn't fortunate this year. Brian, a final question for you: If if the curve in Ireland is somewhat behind the curve in in the United Kingdom as regards confirmed cases of COVID nineteen and confirmed deaths from COVID nineteen or positive test with COVID-19, is it therefore not inevitable that Irish racing will have to be suspended? Are you not simply a couple of weeks behind? Uh, we see, and as I said, the, 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 we're reviewing it on a day-to-day -day basis and the board will review it on a weekly basis and we'll take account of the general environment and take account of the general medical situation. Uh, would you, I mean, would you be surprised if you were still racing in a month? Uh, very hard to say, say uh, 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 Nick. Uh, I, I, I'm really only looking uh, forward to the next week at this stage uh, and planning. It, it, it really is on, on a day-by-day -day basis at this stage. Brian, thank you very much. Thank you. Brian Kavanagh, Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland, who, uh, who continue to race. We will get more reaction from around the globe now. We will start in the United States, which has got a, a, a disparate policy as regards state to state as whether racing should continue fully behind closed doors or not at all. Here with more and reporting from her home in California is Christina Blacker. Hi, Nick. Christina Blacker coming to you from my living room uh, here in Los Angeles, California. As of Thursday evening, the governor here announcing that we have all been ordered to shelter in place until April the 19th, so for the next calendar month. This is where you will find me and my family. But I wanted to give you just a little bit of a rundown as far as what has been going on with racing here in America. It's been different really state to state. And one of the subjects that we talk about quite a bit here in the US is the fact that we do not have a central governing body. And I think because of that, you know, the racetracks, the states, the management companies have been able to sort of do what they can to preserve racing for as long as they can. And that really does seem to be the mentality here of many of the companies and many of the folks that are in charge. Most racetracks that have been conducting racing for about the last week and a half have done so with only essential personnel on track. Uh, they've eliminated any race day fans, even owners, you know, anybody that does not 
absolutely need to be there has not been have not been permitted on the grounds uh, here at TVG we kind of took a little bit of a pause today as far as our on-air analysts and hosts being on the air we are in the process of figuring out how we're going to broadcast from our homes so I will be doing this uh, over the weekend as will many of my colleagues and we're gonna do everything we can because we are kind of the home of horse racing here in the US and we're gonna take you know as much racing as we can and we're gonna show it for as long as we can, as long as anybody's racing, <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to find that signal on TVG. I'm keeping a close eye on the news from England. As you know, my husband Dan is English, uh, his family is there, so we're very connected to you all right now. We feel like we are and uh, hoping for the best. So I hope to have some better updates for you. I hope to see you all at a racetrack very, very soon. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay home. And uh, again, I hope to be back with you very soon. Be well. Christina Black is broadcasting from her home in Southern California because most personnel not allowed onto the racetrack at Santa Anita Park in Louisiana. Racing has been suspended at the fairgrounds. Aqueduct have suspended their racing this week as well in the greater New York City area. And we will be joined later in the broadcast by uh, Jason Richardson from Channel 7 in Australia with his report from the Golden Slipper, which was uh, taking place behind closed doors, and also by Olivier Delois from uh, France Gallo, who were the first organization to really shut the whole sport down. And that'll be fascinating to see what kind of progress they feel that they're making. Cornelius, first of all, um, just a quick reaction to, to what um, we heard from Brian Kavanagh in Ireland. Uh, well, cannot, I was struck he, by one sentence he used, we're reviewing it every day, yeah. and I'm not looking forward further than a week. Um, and, you know, clearly that, that has to be the case. If they're a bit behind us, you know, we were, we were feeling, the UK was feeling it was behind Italy. Now it looks at the numbers and looks at what the Italian numbers look like. Uh, so uh, clearly it's being mm. reviewed every, uh, every day, but it does look as though the flat racing season will start in Ireland on Racing TV tomorrow afternoon at yes. Nace. Quite extraordinary. And then the Curra, if we get that far next weekend, the first really significant... And the Dubai World Cup also next well, weekend The Dubai on World Racing Cup TV. is happening, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll talk about that a bit later in the programme. But just coming back to Christina's piece there, her full um, thoughts on, on the American landscape, 10 minutes is available on, on Racing TV social media outlets. But the there's Kentucky a date, Derby, there's that's a date, been, yeah, they've September been decisive. 5. They're the only real... Institution you're making yourself a date. You're making yourself a hostage to fortune, though, aren't you? Because one option for Aintree must have been to say we will hold the Grand National in October. Yeah, but then, 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 then they well, yeah, well, yeah, or or at a different at a yeah. different time. But but actually, if you set a date and then you can't achieve that date because this this awful virus is mm. so unpredictable. So at the moment they're saying September five for the Derby. Mm. Uh, then they've got uh, the Preakness and the Belmont later on in September and early October. But 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 clearly things may change dramatically and they may not be able to do that. Am I right in saying that the Triple Crown, since it became the Triple Crown, has never been missed? Uh, normally the Derby is in, in the beginning of May, a mm. couple of times, I think at the end of the war, it probably went into June, something like that. But, but they're determined and they're clearly going to have to squeeze stuff in in September Again. and October. But, but these are extraordinary times, and th but they must have a triple crown for the, for, for the, for the breed and the sport if they possibly can. And perhaps if this awful, awful um, virus does anything it will it will bring people together in all in all forms and and if you if you bring US racetrack groups together and in some <laughs> in some sort of agreement then then you really have achieved uh, achieved the impossible okay well, we'll be back in a few moments time when we'll be joined by Eve Johnson Horton
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti at Cruel Dubai. At Racing TV, 100% of our profits go back into racing. Thank you for supporting the sport that we all know and love. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti at Cruel Dubai. You're watching Luck on Sunday, a very different edition of the programme. In essence, because we wanted to reduce the uh, amount of people we can have here in the studio observing social distancing protocols, I am at least six foot away from Cornelius Lysis, BBC Racing's, uh, BBC's racing correspondent uh, and a key worker, as you reminded me at the beginning of the programme. Absolutely. With a key quiz question, Theresa May owned a share in a oh. horse that won. The clue, I've just, uh, during the break there, I said that the clue was in this very room. And this room, you see the silks behind us, but what you don't see behind the cameras is the other studio that takes place. And the Friday Club uh, comes from the other studio here at Racing TV. And it was Martin Dwyer's father-in-law, William ah, Muir, that William trained, Muir. trained ah, the show. That was the, that was the answer to the quiz question. I was hoping to have a few more guesses, but there we are. All right. So, um, sorry to ruin your, your, <laughs> your the only tiny bit of fun we're allowed today. I know. It, it's, yeah. it's been, a, it's been a, a, a sobering week for sure for all, uh, particularly if your, your livelihood is is in the balance as it is for so many of you so many of us in this industry and Eve Johnson Horton uh, trainer and friend of the show indeed the first guest that luck on Sunday ever had at the back end of 2017 joins me on the line now Eve um, good morning to you morning just give me a flavor of what life is like at the, at the yard at the moment um, it's it's carrying on it's carrying on pretty much the same but not the same I mean everything's the same but everything's changed um, you know, the horses still have to go out. They still have to canter every day. They still have to be fed and looked after and mucked out. We have to have farriers. We have to have vets. It's all, um, you know, it's all horse welfare is very important, obviously. But, uh, you know, no one, we do, we practice social distancing. You know, we only have one person in the feed room at, the, at one time, one person in the tack room. Um, uh, and we're just doing our best. How worried are you uh, from a financial standpoint? Um, I'm okay at the moment. Um, personally, speaking, speaking from a personal point of view, I'll be fine if we start racing in the beginning of May. I'd probably be okay if we start racing in the beginning of June, and anything after that is starting to look pretty dicey. So what would you then hope for? I mean, you've seen the government measures Friday, which have essentially allows you to re retain staff. Because you, you, you then don't have the, the, the liability of employing those staff, providing they're not earning over £30,000. The government will pay up to 80% of that, of that money. But then they're not in the yard. So how do, you, how do you square that with looking after the horses? Well, exactly. I mean, you are reliant on your owners continuing to pay for the horses um, or the horses going out of the yard, and then you have to furlough staff, and then the government pay for it. It's, um, you know, which is best. I mean, the best is for us to keep the horses going so we're ready for action and hopefully the owners who are probably also taking huge financial hits all over the place um, are, are still paying their training fees. What have your owners done and said so far? Uh, my owners have been amazing. They've all said, yep, carry on, carry on, we'll review it and, um, you know, see, see what happens. How difficult do you think this will be particularly for those sort of two-year-olds that you that, that people will be wanting to get out between now and what would have been Royal Ascot? 
Well, I, I think some of them will have been buzzed up, ready for the start of the season. You know, um, the first meeting was going to be next Saturday. Um, and I imagine that those that were going to run their horse, their two-year-olds there, they'd have had them rip-roaring, ready to go. Um, mine are more backward than that. So, uh, you know, I'm not in quite the same position. Um, but it's going to be hard because then when you are do have them out, you're taking on a different type of horse. Um, so maybe your window of opportunity for winning races will have gone. How's the morale amongst staff? Um, it's pretty good. I, I don't think it's really hit them yet. And you keep telling them and keep telling them um, about, uh, you know, their social responsibility. But I'm not 100% sure it's got into all of them. What would you say to, to people working in the sport all around the country about their own responsibilities? Um, do what you can. The longer, w the, the best, you know, if, if everyone does the best they can, it'll shorten the time we have to do it for. The longer people flout the rules, the longer it's going to go on for. Have you had much contact from jockeys? Um, Charlie Bishop is, is comes to ride out a, a couple of times a week. Um, and I know he's, you know, he's in good, he's, he's sort of the same as me. He could, he could take a hit. But, I mean, these jockeys, you know, they're all self-employed. I, I really do worry about their mental health as much as anything because they've also got to not get too heavy at the same time. So they've got to keep their fitness up, which, again, could be difficult in due course. In terms of your day-to-day your -day, you know, operation, how, how do you envisage keeping that on the road for the next two, two to four weeks? Well, I have to. Um, I mean, I'm not too bad. All my staff, 99% of my staff are on site. Um, and as long as we can still get the feed in and the bedding and the farrier and the vets, as long as we're allowed to use all of those services, and um, we should be fine. And we just have to keep ticking over, just keep them um, cantering every day. You know, we're not doing any fast work. I've cut all their feed down so they don't get too mad. Um, and just, uh, you know, I've cut the protein levels down. They still have to have the same amount of food, but it's, it's, a, it's a sort of uh, lower protein level we're using. Um, and just fingers crossed that we can eventually get back to... It won't be normal. I just can't believe it's going to be normal. We'll get back to something. Eve, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Eve Keep safe. You too, Eve Johnson-Horton. Now, I think we're on, we're on to a point that Nick Rust raised earlier in the programme. We, we've got to make sure that when we move to the next stage of this, when we're all locked down, completely locked down, that key workers include people with responsibility to look after animals. Otherwise, yeah. we're, in, we're walking into a welfare disaster. And which could be... Um, I don't want to be, sound flippant, but, but very, very big. Not as big as having a disease raging around the world, but it could be big, and we've talked about reputation, potential reputational damage. Uh, if, we, if the sport ended up uh, closing its doors, so retaining its reputation on that front, and then losing it because there are lots of horses that aren't being properly cared for, no, that would well, be terrible. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen, but, but that is something that, that has yeah. to be in people's minds. People whose responsibility it is to, to look after horses, I mean, to give critical care to horses if needs be, critical veterinary care, essential farriery, and uh, you know, feeding well, even them. bedding. Feeding, know, yeah. feeding and bedding. There, there has to be a system by which the, 
the powers that be recognise that these are key workers. One such key worker is James Savage, who's head lad to Sir Michael Stout, uh, can, can give us the, the idea of the mood in Newmarket at the moment. James, good morning. Morning, Nick. Morning, Cornelius. How, morning. Would, how, how would you assess the mood in, in, in racing's headquarters? Yeah, it's challenging it's, it's times. Uh, the, it, the mood is a little subdued um, because people, there's a great deal of uncertainty, isn't there? And people are worrying. Um, I think the, the stability we're getting, which millions of people around the world aren't, is that we're at the moment we're able to go into work and get on with our daily, you know, daily routine of exercising the horses because we need to keep these horses at a fitness level and healthy for when, when racing resumes again. So that's one positive, is that we have uh, the stability of our working day. And also for people's own mental health, to get outside, to get exercising, to get on horses, that is going to keep people in much better frame of mind than the majority of the country at the moment. Oh, and, and health-wise as well. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than being out in the fresh air all day. That's why we do this job. And like I say, we're so lucky. We, we feel, as an industry, we're lucky that we can do this at the moment. Um, and like I said, keep a working day going. Are you... So many people are locked up in their houses and having to work from home and, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky. Are you prepared for a next stage? If the next stage comes where you essentially won't really be able to do anything unless it is deemed absolutely essential by, uh, by the government, we're not far away, what's a racing yard going to look like then, particularly one of, of, of the size that you're, you're looking after a part of? I think cause the, because everything in the world is changing day by day, we're, we're um, as a team, we're going to sort of address things on the same level day by day and see what the government are advising and what the National Trainers Federation are, are, are advising. Um, getting back to your welfare issue, which we talked about, it's absolutely vital that these horses are looked after properly and kept as healthy as they can. Um, so, so there'll have to be something put in place by the government on that front, even if it's down to minimal staff doing basic exercising and um, looking after the horses. It just has to be done. There's no other way around that. Um, have you worked out a system by which you can operate on a on a a, a skeleton workforce? Uh, well, at the moment, to to help with social distancing, etc. Um, in the afternoons, we're working half staff, so um, obviously they're working a little bit harder while they're working. So that's a week on week off rotor. Um, so that keeps a bit of social distancing good. Um, we're well able to do uh, that job with half the amount of staff. With these um, in the mornings, it's a little harder, obviously, because everyone needs to be able to ride out. But I think if it, if we can maintain a half staff yard, we'd still be able to get everything done. Just, that's just my opinion. It's nothing we've talked about in house, but we could cope with that. And, and you've had the extraordinary situation this week of, of staff actually leaving the country, getting on a plane to go to to go to Dubai, which has not been without its complications. How comfortable did did you and your team feel with that? Well, it, it, it's their racing jurisdiction, and they, you know they, they they were doing the shipping and everything, and they were, they've got they've gone into quarantine when reaching Dubai. So, yeah, you've got to go with it, haven't you? Well, I guess it, it's it's beyond beyond your personal remit, but yeah, I, I've got to confess that I would feel pretty uncomfortable getting on an aeroplane right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the the uh, yeah. The airplane they were using was their own. It was very cleansed, and they've come from that airplane with the courses and the groom straight into Dubai Racing Club um, quarantine. So, 
fingers crossed it all goes well. And fingers crossed they, they, they all get back safely and the horses yeah, are, are, yeah. are good as well. James, you're a, you're a great friend of the show. Appreciate your time. Um, keep your spirits up. Stay safe and good luck. Thank you, Nick. Good luck. James Savage, head lad to Sir Michael Stan. We heard there from Eve Johnson-Horton as well. So that's sort of relatively sort of um, realistic, but still mm. obviously rather bleak outlook from two of the major training centres. Those horse walkers could be busy, couldn't they? Yeah. Uh, it just, just struck me that in days gone by when there had to be shutdowns, etc., you know, there no such thing as a as a horse walker in those days. Um, but you know, the 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 good thing about say racing in Newmarket is there are some there are some great brains around, aren't there? There are John Gosdens, there are William Haggis's, there are Mark Prescott type type of people mm. who, as well as being brilliant racehorse trainers, they are that they, they are they'll be thinking. Nick Russ used the expression earlier on. We're thinking creatively for yeah. the end of the tunnel. Well, they'll be doing exactly the same. I, d I just wonder whether ultimately we might end up having sort of trial races, um, live streamed, take, mm. take advantage of modern technology, taking place on Newmarket Heath. The only the only thing different from the 17th century would be Charles II and Nell Gwynn, um, and, and obviously live streaming. Yeah, uh, I, but I, I think this is it. I think you know you you have to sort of think out of the box. Oh, uh, not just out of the box, but in a in the, a different furlong. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, Henry Beebe joins us now, the chief group chief executive of Goffs. Um, one of the, the two great sales houses of, of, of England and Ireland, or the, the Great Britain and Ireland. Uh, Henry, uh, good morning. It is just about still morning. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Cornelius. Good morning. I, do, do, do you accept the, the, the sort of contention that we're sort of building up really on, on the programme that we all just have to think totally differently now? It's not simply a question of take this sale, postpone it to next month or two months down the track. You're almost ripping up every playbook and saying, we're just going to have to see what's coming our way and think completely differently. Yes, I would agree with that. I think, I think what struck me when you spoke to both Nick Rust and Brian Kavanagh in particular, um, that they're both taking matters very seriously. They're listening to all the advice uh, and they're remaining calm. And I think that's very important. And as far as they can, like the rest of us, there needs to be a, a degree of positivity, positivity involved. Um, you know, we're in unprecedented times. We've never seen any like it in any of our lifetimes. Um, but we have to react uh, as things evolve and as things change. Uh, but also look to the future and plan and take whatever measures we can at the moment for when life gets, gets back to a degree of normality. Mm. It'll maybe be the new normal, but we will get back to things in due course. And I don't know knows when, but we have to be ready uh, and take whatever actions we can so that we are ready when it comes back. And we talk about financial support to various sectors of the industry. What support can be given to people who are sitting on an awful lot of bloodstock that they were hoping to sell either last month, this month, next month or beyond, that they essentially are, are left, left with? Yes, I mean, I think if the timing was in any way right, if this, if this had happened last September or in, in the autumn when we were going into the most dense, densely populated sales period, the financial uh, implications would be very dire. Now, they may well turn out, turn out to be very dire. Uh, but the next sales to come up, we, we had our sort of breeding stock sales the latter part of the year, the New Year sales in, in Tattersalls and Goffs and Doncaster uh, and in Ferry House. Uh, we're heading into the breeze-up sales season, and those, those fellows who, uh, all the people who invested in breeze-up horses, uh, have a massive financial commitment. Um, but the breeze-up sales aren't due for a little while. The first one was going to be uh, a Tattersalls sale at Ascot. That's been delayed, uh, and Tattersalls have already delayed some of their sales. We're taking a view on the sales we will be holding at Doncaster due on the 22nd and 23rd of April. We'll take a view on those in due course. Uh, it, you know, if they have to be delayed, they will be. But 
what will be required from auction houses and uh, the, the breeze up vendors in the first instance is cooperation and patience. I mean, we're, we're all in this together. It's, it's a small industry, but it's a big industry. I mean, it, it sells normally about 500 million pounds worth of horses a year between Britain and Ireland. Uh, that's the volume that goes through the Tattersalls and Coffs sales ring. Um, so it behoves us all to, you know, to, to, to stay calm, to stay as positive as we can, to make plans. And then, as you were alluding to earlier, to uh, think about what the alternatives are, what else we can do, how we can change our behavior. Uh, we're looking at options and alternatives to the traditional methods of, of selling bloodstock. Um, you know, we've had sales in the last three or four years where we haven't had horses yep. present, uh, at our London sale prior to Royal Ascot. So we, we all have experience. Uh, our Kana, our French colleagues, have uh, developed quite a, quite a, um, a, a good online activity. Uh, we've obviously been looking into that. So, you know, what we'll have to do is see what happens and see, you know, how long we can delay the selling of horses. And then when it's not possible to delay any longer, uh, look and see what alternatives exist. Henry, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Henry Beebe, Chief and Executive of, uh, of, of the Goffs Group. And we were talk we've been talking on a number of occasions about technology, haven't we? Uh, so the fact is people do gather at Goffs or do gather at Tats. Mm. But, you know, maybe uh, either it changes completely or for one year people say, well, we can't. So we're, we're going to have to do it via um, sort of bidding online, via um, using, you know, we were talking about uh, before the programme came on, air today about Zoom, which I must admit I was completely unaware of until this week, and I ended up having uh, a an online party last night with two friends, and um, we were all on a, you know, we were all on on our our phones, sort of talking, but seeing each other from different parts of these islands. So, you know, if we, if Cornelius Lysett, Connor McNamara, and John Murray, all of the BBC can do it, then ta oh, oh, look at that. Gosh, oh my word! Look at Connor's glass of wine. <laughs> that's it. But but that's exactly. And uh, my lighting, as my friend Sam yeah. pointed out, lighting wasn't very good in my it's, kitchen. It's funny, you know, because the the zoom, as I found out yesterday, downloading it, it, the the green rim goes around the picture who's talking at the time. Who's, so, oh, am funny, I talking funny that? that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also the the other person you can't actually see in that tweet is John Murray, the BBC's football correspondent. Every time he just grunted, it went to him because yeah. he's got that authority. <laughs> he's got he's got the authority. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, when you but that basically the point being, technology is there. Yeah. So why not, you know, why not take advantage, rather than go, oh, why not actually grasp it? And I'm sure that's the sort of creative thinking mm. that Nick Russ was talking about earlier on. Guineas trials behind closed doors in Newmarket, perhaps, you know, further down the track, live streamed and horses being sold uh, remotely, not, in, not at the sales ring. All these things are possibilities uh, as, we, as we approach the most difficult part of, uh, uh, of this pandemic. We will be back to talk to Jason Richardson, who has sent us a report from uh, The Golden Slipper. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. As a member of Racing TV, you get access to dedicated live racecourse feeds through Racing TV Extra. All you need to do is log in with your Racing TV username and password. Racing TV Extra puts you in control so you can focus on the races or meetings that matter to you. If watching on a desktop, tablet or Apple TV, you can select from one to four live screens. On mobile phones and Amazon Fire TV, single screen options are available. Never miss a moment of action with Racing TV Extra at racingtv.com. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai.
Well, one of the most famous two-year-old races in the world, the Golden Slipper, and a huge prize as well, took place at Rose Hill in Australia in the early hours of yesterday morning. But again, it was run behind closed doors. Uh, the Golden Slipper went once again to legendary trainer Gay Waterhouse, who featured on this show last summer. But what was the atmosphere like? at Rose Hill, traditionally on one of the busiest days of the Australian racing calendar. Channel 7's Jason Richardson sent us this. Well, Nick, here is Golden Slipper Day. It's hard to believe there's five Group 1s, the richest two-year-old race in the world. And normally, I'd be standing here in front of 20,000 people. But with this coronavirus, the great news is in Australian racing with strict protocols, we're still racing, but we're racing in front of no crowds and that's been one step another step is trying to isolate the jockeys so we'll see today that there's about eight different jockeys rooms so breaking the key jockeys down to groups of five so if one of them gets the coronavirus that they're only going to infect those that have been in the same jockeys room look it's surreal everyone around the world is struggling trying to make our way through this horrendous time Racing is the third biggest industry in Australia. It employs over 50,000 people. It's an industry that must keep going. There's strict protocols. We must stand two metres apart from participants when we're doing any of our interviews. We've been having to wear um, gloves to make sure that anything that we're touching um, is uh, appropriate and virus-free. So these various strict protocols are in place at the moment to make sure we can keep racing. I know in the UK, um, if you're not racing at the moment, our thoughts go to everyone in the UK and hopefully you'll be back racing really soon and we can get this wonderful sport up and running. And fingers crossed that there might be a minor miracle that I get to see you at Royal Ascot. Minor miracle, Richo, I think it, it, it would be at uh, this stage. But yeah, I, I, I hope that your optimism, optimism is, is well-founded. Our thanks to Channel 7's Jason Richardson. It was won, the Golden Slipper, by Gay Waterhouse, as I said, a horse called Farnan, but of course Gay having to watch on from home, observing the protocols as her co-trainer was there supervising proceedings at Rose Hill, and this was her reaction through the final furlong. Gay Waterhouse, her husband Rod there looking completely unmoved <laughs> on the left, but they weren't able to be at Rose Hill because of the current protocols. And uh, this is what Rob tweeted. Good wife, Gay Waterhouse, very happy watching fun and win the slipper if disobeying the new 1.5 metre distance rule. Both of us particularly delighted for Adrian and Jess Bott. Adrian Bott, the co-trainer. So a remarkable day in more ways than one in Australia. Another victory in the Golden Slipper for Gay Waterhouse behind closed doors, but it was a, a momentous occasion nonetheless for jockey Tom Marquand and trainer William Haggis because they teamed up for a Group 1 double with Young Rascal and Dave. Quite a raid, quite an audacious raid and one that paid off in spades. And Tom Marquand joins us on the line now from Australia. Tom, good morning. Morning, how are you? How are you? I'm very well. How are you? A, a bizarre but incredibly successful day for you. Just, just sum up how, how you felt going through the day. 
yeah, I mean, obviously, it was sort of, it's pretty surreal being down here, um, still racing big days, like there was five group ones yesterday, and yet no no atmosphere in what in a race course which, which is normally packed for Golden Slipper Day. Um, so it, it's obviously a bit of a shame, but at least we were still racing, and um, yeah, we're pretty fortunate in that regard. And how much are you keeping in touch with what's going on, on back here at home? I mean, obviously, every day I'm talking talking to Holly and family and, and everyone, and it's certainly at this point sounds more extreme at home than it is down here, but I've no doubt that things are going to escalate here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as to which way it goes, I guess, depends on which way the government push it. Do you think the mood in, in Australia, in terms of what the government's advising and the measures that people are adhering to, is some way behind the mood in, in the UK? Uh, yeah, definitely so. I think Australia is still where England probably was about you know, five, six days ago before restaurants and, and things were shut down. You know, everyone's, everyone's fully aware of the magnitude of the situation, but... The, the like it, the, the place isn't on lockdown, like complete lockdown yet. You know everything's everything's still open and, and people are still going out and doing stuff. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's certainly it's certainly a few days behind wearing homers. And what what precautions were taken at, at the racecourse yesterday to to make sure that you were all safe? Uh, I mean, to be fair, they've done a they've done a hell of a lot of work at the races. They had um, myself and Opie Bossom that have only been in the country for less than a week in a separate weighing room and then they divided the other jockeys up into I think four different rooms and obviously the the um uh, like obviously there was no no sort of contact between people um and they were they were very particular about what gear was uh, used by different people like I think for example in one race they had to use the club colors because the one set of colours couldn't be used by two different jockeys, so there was a lot of um, there was a lot of precautions in place, and you know they they've they they did a very good job of sort of um, keeping keeping all the measures um, in place and 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 fulfilling what the what what the advice has been so far. It seems equally strange, really, that I ha I didn't start the conversation by congratulating you on a on a Group One <laughs> double, which is is a, a remarkable achievement, particularly the other side of the, the world. So many congratulations. A brilliant ride, I thought, on, on a Dave, who, who, clearly, who clearly quite liked the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, to be fair to him, he was extremely tough um, on the day, uh, the, way, the way it went early doors. Um, I had to go forward and make the running with, with him. And, and to be honest, on that ground, I think it suited in the fact that he could get rolling and there was no sort of sudden pressure for him to, to have to find two gears within the space of a couple of strides. And I think it it certainly helped that I was able to wind it up from a good way out, get him yeah. galloping and, and and get him stretching instead of trying to get him to sprint on, on that ground. And you were the runner-up, pulled a nice way clear of the third in the end. Clearly he's a, a smart horse with Group 1 form in the UK as well. The commentator was eulogising about your skills. They do love a sound judge of pace down under, don't they? Yeah, it's there's you know as everyone knows there's a there's a sort of um, large amount of, of scrutiny on the racing down here and um, the the pace awareness is probably one of the most important parts of of race riding down here so it's something that 
I know James Dole when he when he spent time down here sort of said he was he was most aware of going home sort of the the tactical side and and the pace awareness and certainly I've I've definitely found it coming home from here on like obviously from my previous trip and last year as well. Let's talk about young rascal. Were you a bit more surprised by by his victory? Um. I, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess if if either of the two are probably going to sort of come on for the run and and, and have uh, the the big day in mind, it was probably going to be him. But to be fair, he um, I actually galloped him last week and was extremely pleased with him. Like he felt great and looked looked great in himself. But um, yeah, it, I, I was I was lucky the race got wound up early enough because we went very steady on the way round and and. You know, Rosedale's a nice long straight, and, and to be fair, it turned into a, a bit of a stamina test the last couple of hundred metres, and, and obviously uh, he has got stamina in back, so, yes. so it pulled, out, pulled away nicely. Interesting you say that, because William Haggis and I have spoken about this horse many times, and he, he was struggling to figure out exactly what trip was his optimum, whether he was a middle-distance horse who needed a strong gallop or whether he was a genuine stayer. What do you think? I mean, off the back of that, clearly he's got loads of ability in class in the first place. But um, you know, I mean, I think I think he has clearly got loads of staying potential. And um, I think yesterday was just more of a show of class that he managed to win off off that pace than anything else. Thomas, a great day for you. And obviously, as you pointed out, racing in Australia is probably not going to go on for that much longer. Are you going to be able to get back? Okay. Uh, as, it, as it stands at the moment, um, I'm all okay to come home. Obviously, I'll go into 14 days quarantine um, and, and take all the precautions necessary to sort of try to m minimise my my damage, I guess, as such. Um, but obviously, if they carry on racing here, I will stay here, and the situation is changing daily. So, you know, where I'll be in two weeks or where everyone will be in two weeks, um, I guess, sort of remains to be seen and, and we'll have to just wait and see day by day as to, as to what the different rules are changing to. Tom, whatever happens, wish you well, safe return and look forward to seeing you. Well done, thanks so much. Not at all, very kind of you, thank you. Tom Marquand, who must be a, a surefire challenger for champion jockey honours as and when... <laughs> We have in a, a jockey's championship to, to speak of. On which note, Cornelius, and we've only got 10 seconds to sum this up, they've got to call these champions now, haven't they? It's an incidental point. I think it's the going, season's I, over. Call the, the vibes, champions. you know, I think it's Give, going to be over the next few What What's the point of not? Give um, Brian Hughes and Nicky Henderson there. And, and, and make, make a little make bit a of a song and dance. And it gives everyone something to smile about for, for a short time. Exactly, exactly. But behind closed doors and uh, an appropriate distance. Online, uh, maybe. I think, yeah, online. Zoom. On Zoom. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Zoom, Zoom, Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes zoomed through the season. Nicky and, Anderson, and he can and get his trophy, as did Nicky, and get their trophies on Zoom. It'd be all very JP appropriate. McManus, I presume is the JP McManus owner, yeah. conditional jo good. Um, just John Joe O'Neill. John Joe O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Congratulations to all of them. As far Absolutely. as this program's concerned, anyway, champions from the last season. I think there was a sufficient um, amount of evidence to go on, but that is an incidental point. This is a global pandemic. Uh, France have been ahead of the curve as regards a comparison with the UK at this stage, and, and racing has not been taking place in France for, for several days now. Their chief executive is uh, Olivier Delois, chief executive of France Gallo. Uh, Olivier, good morning. Good afternoon now. Good afternoon, Nick. 
Um, just tell us from your standpoint what the mood in France is about racing closing down, about the country closing down, and about the more the more stringent measures that that you've had to to undertake. Um, I would say that there was a real change uh, earlier this week um, in the whole country, and and of course within the, the racing community. Um, well, because we we had to take this decision to um, to, to stop racing for for one month, um, I think people are really uh, now understanding how serious uh, the pandemic is and how fast it is growing, and the effect it has in the um, in the hospitals, in the intensive care units. Um, so I see more and more the, the, the people following more strictly the, the, the rules that have been set by the government in terms of staying at home and, and, and really take care. You are, you are the best person to speak on this right this minute because during this programme we've been exploring how horses are looked after if we, get, if we in Britain get to the stage where you are at in France. You are at a stage of total lockdown. We are sort of 75% of the way there. How are you looking after your, your workforce and particularly your horses at the moment? Well, um, for the moment, um, the, 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 the training uh, centres are, are, are working like normally and, and uh, the, the stable uh, staff can 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 go and and and, and work as uh, as normal and, and take care of the horses. Of course, that's an area of concern because every day is changing, like every day. Um, so we we have to to make sure that um, within these uh, restrictions, um, the the workforce is still uh, allowed entitled to uh, to to go and and work and and take care of the horses. So. We are not taking it for, for granted for, for the weeks to come. I think that's uh, something we, we need to monitor very, very closely and, and make sure that locally um, it is well uh, respected by, uh, by the police. And if not, uh, that, that we will have to, to speak to local authorities uh, and, and, of course, the Ministry of uh, Agriculture. And you gave a, a glimmer of hope earlier in the week that, that there may be racing that target date at the back end of April in, in France, it, and that raised an eyebrow or two here. It, in what way is that is that realistic? Well, it's very hard to say. Um, um, what we hear at the moment is that the, um, the peak of the pandemic should happen in France at the end of March, so we are not that far from it. Yeah. What we don't quite know is what is what is it going to look like uh, when 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 we see the the curve really flattening and 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 have this uh, this peak behind us? Um, we remain hopeful that uh, things can get better uh, in the second half of, of April. Uh, that was a sort of date set by the government in terms of uh, closing of all the bars and restaurants. So at the moment, nothing says that uh, it cannot reopen in the second half of, of April and that maybe we can go back to, to a normal life slowly, uh, of course, because it will not um, be exactly the same uh, from, from day one. Uh, but of course, there is no certainty and, and, uh, and we have to, to have in mind some uh, maybe less favorable scenarios uh, like um, 
maybe have a, a life going back to, to, to normal or sort of, yeah. uh, maybe early May or mid-May, uh, and, 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 and then get prepared for, for any scenario. And, and finally, Olivier, how do you view the action taken by Britain and, and Ireland in, in a racing context? Well, it, I mean, it's very hard to, um, uh, to, 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 to judge what is being done elsewhere because it's very much dependent on what's going on in the country. It's not so easy to, to really know what's going on in your own country, so I, I would really not uh, feel to, um, um, to express any opinion on, on, on the decisions made in England and, and in Ireland, knowing that, of course, they have taken some, some different routes. Uh, what I can tell you is that in France, we, we really felt that keep, ra keep racing even behind closed doors was getting um, uh, really like almost impossible. Um, when you see the congestion that you have in the intensive care units and hospitals, really you wouldn't like to send a, an injured, a severely injured jockey uh, to one of these hospitals. Uh, when you ask, ask the whole country to, to stay at home and stay confined, how can you explain that you're sending horses all across the country to, uh, to, to, to keep racing and gather, even behind closed doors, a minimum of 300 people? So we thought that it, I mean, we have no other choice that make this, uh, this tough decision and, uh, and then work hard to, um, to try and, uh, and, and reduce as much as possible the impact of this uh, decision to, to stop racing for one month. And have the government packages announced in, in France satisfied you that your, that your workforce are going to be okay for the foreseeable future? To be fair, I mean, we, we, we don't have um, um, yet some, 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 some feedback. And uh, what, we, what we've been doing in the last week uh, uh, in terms of um, discussion and negotiations with the Ministry of Agriculture, for instance, was to, to keep the breeding season going, uh, going forward because uh, at the moment we, 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 we feared that uh, it would uh, have to be, uh, uh, to be stopped. Uh, so we, we had some pretty tough negotiations with them to, um, to, to convince that following some very strict protocols we, we, we were in a position to, 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 um, to pursue this breeding season, which is, of course, very, very important for, for the industry. Olivier, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Nick. Best of luck to, to you all. And you, and stay safe and, and healthy, and, and best of luck to, to everyone in, involved in keeping racing going in France. Olivier Delois, Chief Executive of, of France Gallo. A Cornelius point raised by Olivier there. Yeah, if the restrictions in this country get any more stringent, at what point uh, are you precluded from walking a horse into a stud, for example? At what point will yeah. stallions only be able to cover mares in their own stud? And what kind of impact will that have on the breeding industry? A lot of people will be saying, on what, yeah. the line of what we've heard, who yeah. cares, move on. Yeah. But it well, has a huge impact. Creative thinking, but uh, so m the words of the day to me, creative thinking from Nick Rust and from the British Horse Racing yeah. Authority. And 
first of all, that that word obscene from Conor McGinn that 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 people could think that we could carry on as normal when others aren't able to. And uh, Olivier, there almost impossible to think of uh, patients uh, queuing up uh, through coronavirus yeah. in hospital, and a jockey gets injured, and you're going to send that exactly. uh, person to the to a hospital. And comparisons keep being made between Britain and Ireland. Well, why are Ireland doing this and Britain not? Well, what about comparisons between Britain and France? Why is that comparison not made? Why is it not made? Well, it is with Italy, but not in a horse racing sense of Germany. Why is it only Britain and Ireland that are being that are being compared? And the other point, just to note there, before our, mm. our final and perhaps most important caller uh, uh, of the day, is um, is are we if we're talking about creative thinking? Mm. What about a temporary restriction on artificial insemination if it gets to that? Well, that may have to be one of the, the things on the creative agenda. Um, be a bit, it'd, be a, it'd be a leap, wouldn't it? I think there are a few things that are going to be a, a pretty big leap, things that you, you could never do before that you might be able to do for, for now, temporarily or perhaps even permanently. Um, most important is looking after the sports workforce. There's an awful lot of you up and down the country who are understandably incredibly worried, incredibly anxious at the moment um, about how you're going to continue in this sport and how are you going to keep your families going. Uh, Simone Sears, the Racing Welfare Director of Welfare with a, with a huge responsibility for, for frontline services. Afternoon Simone. Hello, hello there. Uh, this must have been an uh, extraordinary difficult time, time for you. Um, how are you at Racing Welfare managing first of all? Um, we're, managing, we're managing okay. Um, the first couple of days of last week really was all about us um, relocating our teams and enabling them to work at home and then having a look and reorganizing and prioritizing our work and our services so that we can be in a really good position um, to try and meet any increased demand. And how much uh, contact have you had, how much increased contact have you had from, from the sports workforce and participants? Just give us an indication as to how much your workload has increased. Um, it, well, it's really hard to compare because obviously a lot of what we would normally be doing um, has you know, had to cancel. So it's quite hard to compare. But what I can say is that from between the 17th and 19th um, of, of March last week, 50% um, of all annual inquiries into race and welfare were, were connected to the coronavirus um, outbreak. And um, what, is, what is concerning people most? Um, what's concerning people most at the moment um, is, is what they're going to do, um, how they're going to manage people. We're starting to see people who were perhaps on zero-hours contracts, um, part-time or with childcare issues that can't work, um, people that have been laid off already. Um, and, you know, obviously it's their immediate concerns about how they're going to manage how they're going to pay their bills, um, you know, how are they going to buy food. We spoke with Nick Rust extensively at the beginning of the programme and he talked about ways in which the racing industry may well have to supplement or can supplement the government's own series of measures that were announced on Friday. What can racing welfare do now practically? Okay, so three main things I think really. Um, number one is about getting as much information, advice and guidance out there to people um, in order for people to be able to help themselves. I mean, information is going to be really key. We, my, me and my team are making as much sense of all the changes that are going on as well because it's a, it's a very complex system to navigate um, and it's even harder now. 
but there's some really good advice out there and practically we're pulling all of that together um, and we're trying to push that out so that so that people can be well informed you know about what they can do what they can claim and how to do it um, secondly it's about us be pulling together as a community a lot of our community events um, have had to be cancelled so we're looking at keeping in touch with people all the people we know and all the people that get in touch with us um, how we can prevent loneliness and isolation how we can stay in touch so I've got teams phoning around um, checking on our most vulnerable because obviously we look after some very elderly people as well so checking on the most vulnerable as well and then trying to provide practical help and support to get assistance to them if needed um, and thirdly and probably the one that's going to be really important is we can make um, financial grants for people in immediate hardship um, so we will assess people if people get in touch with us we will do an assessment for anybody um, that is struggling but what we always have to do as a charity first is ensure that people get everything that they're entitled to first and that, that's really important for that longer term so we'll help people to do that as well. I don't suppose you've had an awful lot of time to think in the last few days, Simone, but, but in your more reflective moments, you must, you must feel very proud that, that an institution such as Racing Welfare exists, particularly now. Oh, in incredibly proud. Um, incredibly proud of my team who have, who have all adapted. I mean, many of who are used to working, you know, frontline, face-to-face -face work with people. So we've had, we, we're adapting all of our systems um, to look at how can we do things differently, how, how can we provide our help and support online, over the phone, um, you know, even relocating our teams to home, making sure they've got the infrastructure and the resources they need to be able to do, you know, their normal, their normal tasks. Um, so, yes, um, it's, I am incredibly proud to be part of this organisation industry, um, but we do understand what an anxious and worrying time it is for everyone. So really, we're encouraging people, please, you know, please get in touch and we'll do everything we can. And, and how do people get in touch with you? Okay, so we've got the 24-hour um, support line, racing support line, which can be accessed either over the phone. The phone number is on our website. Um, and there's also live chat available 24-7. Um, and then Monday to Friday, um, it's our normal regional offices. Their phone lines are still open and they, they're advertised. We've got those on the website as well. So, you know, there's a few, a few ways that people can get in touch. Simone, thank you very much indeed. Uh, stay thank safe. You. And, and I, that, that applies obviously to you and, and, and all your incredibly hardworking um, workforce at, at Racing Welfare. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Simone Sear, Director of uh, Welfare at, at Racing Welfare. There is a 24-hour helpline. If, if you are in trouble and you are really worried about your financial circumstances and you're working in the sport, call 0800 63 I have got the right amount of digits. That is the right number. One more time, 0800 63 Cornelius. Help, help yourselves. And the, the fact is that the Chancellor has announced these 
wide range of things to help. Mm. But it's complicated. Well, there's masses of it, yeah. and it's complicated. So an organisation like Racing Welfare can really help just sort of get through the bits that don't particularly mm. count in your case, mm. and here's the bit that really does count in your case. So I thought that was, uh, that was really striking, that sense of community. And horse racing is very good at community, and I'm sure it will keep that up. Uh, really, really well in all this. Can, can I say one other thing? I came to the studio today in slightly in two minds about whether we were right or wrong to not be racing in Britain. Uh, and I think I said at the start of the programme, yeah. my, my thoughts swing one way or another. You know, you've, I've been talking to people who've said absolutely it's the right thing. People who've been saying, well, actually, if racing could keep going, then they wouldn't be, uh, the, the, the people involved in racing wouldn't be going to get the type of help that, that racing welfare mm. can help with uh, all that uh, administrative stuff. I think having, having heard, uh, having sort of thought about the whole context of the nation and the world during this, these extraordinary times and heard people like uh, Nick Russ, people like uh, Brian Kavner uh, and others who are who are really thinking ahead. Uh, I, I, I think we are making the right decision and um, yeah, really struck by the by the whole thing. I think you started out of an exploration this morning. Were we doing the right thing? I think your conclusion probably is yes. Yes, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I thought Conor McGinn provided the most compelling testimony. His words again, it is obscene to think we can absent ourselves from the national duty. Uh, let's hope that when uh, the Labour Party is rearranged and uh, he will become a candidate for gradually doing really well, that, ra that he will do well and racing will have a, a firm, firm friend uh, in a place that really matters. I think also what we've discovered over the last hour and 40 minutes is that you cannot be dogmatic about anything nothing let alone anything within within this sport so if you if you need to think about doing things differently just think about doing them differently and 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 r r racing has this reputation perhaps well its heritage is part of the whole thing mm. but but you know in decades to come people must reflect on these periods and say racing did really well at that time it used all the resources uh, that were available it may well be that the you know the 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 uh, the big sales took place with everybody sitting in their office and uh, and bidding online for for one year uh, that 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 uh, we we took we took uh, advantage of those resources and did well and mm. uh, you know going back to Conor McGinn he talked about the responsibilities of racing and we we talk about this being a, a wide range of people lots of different people you know let let let's be responsible uh, and uh, you know that the, the the light at the end of the tunnel isn't visible yet but the t tunnel will come and then we you know racing needs to be ready to uh, to get going again and and ending. Where, where we started with Nick Rust, this was supposed to be his final year as, as chief executive of the BHA. This is no soft landing for him. This thank is goodness the, he didn't just walk out and say, right, I'm going, uh, um, and uh, that's it. So uh, Nigel Payne writes a letter to the Racing Post today uh, in praise of, uh, of Nick Rust. And I read it this morning thinking, uh, well, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that, but I, but I, I think he's guiding that organisation pretty well at the moment. And uh, he, will, uh, he will create some pretty big boots for, for a new chief executive who will start uh, with, a, with a pretty extraordinary time later on in the year. But nobody knows what's going to happen later on in the year, uh, least of all us. We mm. can just hope that uh, as many of you stay safe and healthy as possible. Cornelius, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. If nothing else, it has been a, an instructive 
hour and a half for sure. My thanks to all those of you who've, uh, who've contributed and all those who've got in touch as well. As I said at the beginning of the programme, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to my mum and happy Mother's Day to all mums out there. And uh, I'm just sorry we won't be able to see you all uh, today. And I'm sorry you won't be able to see your families, but hopefully you can do uh, over Skype or Zoom or anything else. Whether we'll be here next week, I'm not sure. But thank you very much for watching. Bye-bye. Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.